The term serial killer wasn't common until the 1970s, and serial killings reached a peak in the last three decades of the 20th century. This has led to a misunderstanding of the history of serial killers, as today, many put blame on urbanization or moral failings of Western society or liberal upbringing, conservative upbringing. Blame has been thrown around every direction you can imagine. But the truth is that humans haven't changed. Our psychological makeup didn't change in the 20th century. Psychosis and mental illness isn't new. We just understand it a little bit better. And we have access to records and mass media. That's why serial killers are not an invention of the 20th century. Evil isn't new. There have always been killers lurking in the shadows. On this episode, we look at some notorious serial murders of the 19th century and ask, is there anything we can continue to learn from these terrible cases? This is a study of strange. Thanks for having me. Of course. So welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Michael May. And joining me is my my friend, Bridget Weitzel. And Bridget, thank you, first of all, for, for coming on the show. And I've wanted to have, you're one of the people where I'm like, okay, if I do a show like this, I got to have Bridget on. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. Um, <laughs> Why is that, Michael? <laughs> well, it's because I, I know that you have an interest in kind of like true crime stuff. And yeah. Yeah, and we've we haven't talked about it a lot over the years, but I, I definitely know that that is true. But what? Yeah, what are you interested in in terms of like the true crime type stories or programs or shows or documentaries? Like yeah, what fascinates you about that genre of content? I think there's two aspects to it that get me. The first is what in the world can make somebody go off the rails so hard, right? Like, yeah. It's just such a foreign concept to me to be that upset or to just be that dark that you do some of the things that people do. Yeah. But then the other aspect of it that I find super interesting, because I'm a documentary person. I read mm -hmm. the true crime, the nonfiction books, and I watch the documentaries. And the other aspect is the detective work, right? How do they get caught? Where's the science behind this? How, you know, the stories that there's so many layers, the stories that people tell to protect the bad guys versus, you know, who's going to give them up and the way that police and detectives and forensic scientists, the way that their brains have to work to mm -hmm. put these bizarre bits and pieces of non-logical things yeah. together is also fascinating. Yeah, it, it's all fascinating. And people, because there are some people that kind of deride fans of true crime yeah. that think we're all like we're terrible people that are interested in totally. these dark macabre things and it's like no there is there is a fascination with the for me anyway the, the psychological element of what would make somebody yeah. do these type of things but there's also the mystery fan in me just loves the detective yep. work like how are people solving these things so it, what you said is actually perfect for today. So I'm I'm Ooh. even more excited now to have you on because this episode is going to be a little different. I'm going to do, this is like a Cliff Notes version of some I love true it. crime cases. <laughs> so it's um, six different 
serial killer cases, all from the 1800s. Okay. And and part of that is just a lot of the the kind of true crime I get more interested in is older stuff because yeah. I'm always like, oh, that happened back then, but how did how did they even go about investigating that? I, it just intrigues me. And the other thing that was like a big inspiration for this show specifically is I do like the stories that kind of get overlooked. There are popular popular yes. true crime stories that get told over and over and over and over again. And look, that's fine because I still consume all those things too. Same. <laughs> but it's like there are there are these kind of stories that get overlooked. So today, yeah, we're looking at six different serial killer cases from the 1800s. Three of them have been solved. Three okay. of them have not. So it's a nice oh. comparison to things. And yeah, so I think they'll hit all the things that you like in in true crime. And you may have even heard of some of these. They're not all completely like unknown stories. They are. They're just not as popular as other ones. And also this kind of came about because I am researching uh, an episode about the Bloody Benders. Do you know who they are? No. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's a good band. It it totally, (laughs) totally is a punk band name. Uh, They were in 1862, 72. I I forget the year right now. But they're a family or they may not have actually been blood related, but they call them a family. And they lived in a cabin in Kansas and they would take in travelers who would, you know, stay there for the night or get food. And essentially someone in the family would sneak up behind them, hit them on the head, steal their stuff, kill them. And they escaped. And and it is, there's been documentaries. I think there's even been like uh, scripted movies, you know, where people try to tell the story of these, this crazy family. Um, But yeah, I'm researching that, that episode and it's going to take me a while because there's a lot to go into, but I kept coming across these other stories of serial killers in the 1800s. I was like, oh, I just want to, I just want to share these, even if it is a Cliff Notes version. That's awesome. Yeah, that is what we're doing today. So before we dive in real quick, if everybody's enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And also on Patreon, I have a couple of new stuff coming out in December. It's no, it's the week of Thanksgiving right now. So in, in a week or two, there will be some some new content on Patreon. So please, everybody check that out through our website, astudyofstrange.com. Yeah. All right. Where am I in my Ooh, notes now, Bridget? I've already started taking notes, Mikey. I've already oh. written down bloody benders. I need to look oh, into nice. it more. That's fascinating. <laughs> oh, you'll love it. It is It is very fascinating. Yeah, I'll just dive in. I have all these other little like things that I wrote down in my notes of like, hey, mention how Jack the Ripper is famous, but like all these mm-hmm. other people that are just as crazy aren't. But that's the gist of it. So I can just yeah. skip over that. Jack the Ripper, by the way, will come up like three or four times today because a couple of the cases- You can't not, right? You can't not in the 19th century. And there's people, we love to tell stories, people. So we, a lot of people connect serial killers from back then and they just assume, oh, that's Jack the Ripper too. Those killings over there, that's also Jack the Ripper. So a a number of people today, they're like, there are theories that some of these folks are also Jack the Ripper. I do not believe that, but uh, we'll get into that when I get there. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I'm going to start with the solved cases. And these are not in any chronological order. Um, It's just in the order I wrote them down in. So we're going to start with the Kelly family. And the Kelly family, this took place in 1887. And what, when you read about it, people always call it Kansas. And this is very similar to the Br- Bloody Bender story as well. In fact, I think the Kelly family learned about the Bloody Benders and copied them. Ooh, that is okay. my own personal theory. So School it's, of serial killing. School of serial <laughs> killing. So the Kelly family is 1887. When you always read it, they always say Kansas. 
And it's actually not true. This is uh, you know pre pre a lot of states out west, and it, it was an area called No Man's Land. They may still call it that, but it's what today is the Oklahoma Panhandle. And okay. back then, there was talk of it becoming part of Kansas, but at the time, it was just public land. It was just sort of unnamed no man's land, like they called it. Mm-hmm. And this family, they they moved in from Pennsylvania, or so they say. And everybody in this area of the country at the time, there's a lot of the homesteaders. There's a lot of people, even when there wasn't an area where people could homestead, they would still cultivate the land, build something in hopes that one day the government would be like, okay, that's yours. And mm-hmm. so you have a lot of people trying to land grab and also people moving west. So after this is after the Civil War, a lot of people are migrating west and you have to go through Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma. You have to go that way. So there's a lot of travelers. And in a way, it's kind of like the perfect place for serial killers because travelers. Good. Yeah. <laughs> travelers, they need help. No one knows they're there. No one has cell phones. So, you know, mm-hmm. you can't contact anybody. Uh, and people would go missing. Lots of people would go missing all the time from probably a lot of times just natural reasons. They get lost sure. and, you know, fall ill and, you know, in long travels uh, yeah. or killed from Native Americans. Like all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff was very real. And so anyway, the, the Kelly family moves to this area and it was near a town called Oak City. And this is about 25 miles away from present day Beaver, Oklahoma. The family had four people in it. There was William Kelly, sort of the the patriarch of the family. He was around 55. He had his wife, Kate, son, Bill, sometimes called Billy, who was around 20, and their daughter, Kit, who was 18. I've also read 19 and sometimes 17. So somewhere around that age. Yeah. And the family put down roots. They built like a little cabin. And this all this their whole story, by the way, happens in like the last three to four months of 1887. It happens very quickly. So they build this cabin, they try to get into the cattle business, but then they focus more on turning their cabin into a bit of like a tavern. So travelers okay. could get a place to eat, stay the night. As, again, a lot of people are moving west, so it's nice to That's be able to smart. offer that, make some money. It's very smart. Good, good business people. Definitely. However, <laughs> by like December-ish, uh, a lot of locals in Oak City and the surrounding area start to notice that, wait, there's a lot of people that are going missing, like a lot more than normal. They okay. don't suspect the Kelly family of anything, by the way. They're totally fine with the Kelly family until one day a guy named S.T. Gregg came by the property. He was a traveler. He had stayed there before and gotten some warm food and you know may have even stayed the night, so he was going to stop in again. And when he showed up, no one was there. The Kelly family was gone, and he kind of stumbled across something terrible. Uh-oh. And we're going to jump right into our first scene, Bridget. So, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's all one document I sent you. So it's just the first page. And what okay. I'll do is I'll read. There's not a lot of dialogue in this. So I'm going to read like all the, the description-y type stuff. So you're going to be Greg, S.T. Greg. Very exciting. And yeah, let's let's do it. It'll be, it's, a sh- it's a short scene. It's going to go pretty quick. Are right, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, so this is the Kelly family cabin during the day, and a man approaches the cabin on horseback. It's cold, and the wind howls across the small valley, and the man, S.T. Gregg, holds his jacket tightly closed as he nears the Kelly fo- uh, home. There we go. I can talk. He hops, off, <laughs> he hops off of his horse <laughs> and looks around the property, and it's quiet. No one is working. No sounds are coming from the barn. No cooking or talking coming from inside the cabin. Hello? Mrs. Kelly, 
He gets no answer. Greg hitches his horse to a post near the barn and walks towards the cabin. He knocks on the door, and it swings open with a loud creak. He peeks inside, but it's dark. Too dark. It's Mr. Greg. Hoping to catch a warm meal. Nothing. Just the sounds of the wind. And then Greg hit, gets hit with a strong, terrible smell. Oh, Lord! He, he covers his face and stammers back away from the door. But Greg knows all too well what that smell must mean. Yeah. So what's really interesting is I've been researching all these murder mysteries and serial killers of the 19th century. Death was so common back then, mm -hmm. especially in the West. Like there, people are just surrounded by death. People and their family die all the time. Also, a lot of veterans of the Civil War. And so every book I'm reading and like article and little thing I read about all these different stories, whenever there's the smell of death, people are just like, oh, there's the smell of death. Just <laughs> oh, like there's they, another one. <laughs> they, they just know it so well. So yeah, so this S.T. Craig guy just knew immediately there's death, like there's dead, yeah. there's a dead body somewhere. So what he does is he actually starts looking through the cabin Oof. and it, it's got to be dark and creepy and obviously smells bad. He found a little door that opens that goes into like a cellar. He goes into the cellar and he never go down to the cellar. Never, never go down the <laughs> cellar. Uh, and he finds what he thinks are like three bodies. So oh, crap. Wisely, because there's no there's no CSI back then. People don't know the right. right way to behave around crime scenes, but wisely he just immediately leaves. He doesn't touch anything. He doesn't try to, you know, save anything. He just goes and he gets authorities. They round they round up like a search party. They go to the the Kelly cabin. And there's more bodies besides just oh. the, the the three in the basement. In the barn, they basically look wherever there's loose dirt and they stick oh, sticks down in it to see if something's in there. And so, yeah, all around the barn and the property, they find what is estimated to be 11 total people. And it, and it could crap, be more. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and again, I'm going to assume if they find 11, there's probably some more. Like, Oh, they, there's, there's no way they got them all. More. Yeah. And so from what I've read, it's normally said that they could only identify one body, but I did find a few sources that say they identified three. One of them is a, a guy named Jim Coven, who was a cattleman from Texas, JT Taylor, who was a salesman from Chicago, and then another businessman from Texas, a guy named Johnson. They did find a rusty axe, which may have had some like human flesh and blood on it. So they suspected that was like the, the usual. Yeah, that's a, it's definitely a good guess for a murder weapon. Mm -hmm. And word spread fast. And there's Ooh, no, I bet. Uh, yeah. So again, no, no Twitter or phones, but still like <laughs> it spreads fast. And so the, the town nearby Oak Creek, um, oh no, excuse me, the town Beaver, Oklahoma, uh, word gets to the people that are searching for the Kellys now that uh, people in Beaver were like, oh, the Kellys? Well, they just, they just passed through here like two days ago. Don't. Oh. They they cut a whiff of the Cam Kelly family to, to as it were, <laughs> manner of speaking, <laughs> and, and they head that direction, and they end up because it's the old West days. They get a posse together, and the posse is going to go hunt down the Kellys. And sure enough, they they keep on them, like they're able to track them. And they found evidence of them at Palo Duro Creek in Texas, which you can actually—it's still there. Palo Duro Creek, still the same name, still around. You can go visit. And yeah, they gave chase. They ended up finding the family. Out in out in the wild, and they actually chased them for like two or three hours, like on horses oh, wow. and carriages, going after them. So you can imagine the hoots and hollers and guns shooting in the air and everything else. It probably is going Amazing. around. <laughs> um, 
uh, Kate fell off her horse during the chase and actually like broke her back. And they eventually catch up and they catch the son, Billy, and the daughter, Kit. And William, the, the patriarch, skedaddles away. Of course And they start interrogating uh, uh, Billy and Kit. And essentially, Kit is like, she's playing the innocent. She's like, I'm just the daughter. I didn't do it. Like, I look, I have nothing to do with what my family does. Right. And her, her brother then goes, what are you talking about? You you were part of this too. We all were part of killing everybody. Don't you go saying you didn't have anything to do Whoa, with it. Oh, he crumbled under pressure. Yeah. And so uh, sort of Texas and Western justice, they just bring out some ropes and they hang them just like right then and there. They do not arrest them. They do not send them back. They The whole posse just kills them. And then they keep hightailing it after William. So they chase William for a while longer. They eventually catch him. And they catch him by like, I think, holding guns and shooting at him. And finally, he just kind of like raised his hands. It was like, okay, I'm not going to get away from all this. And what they do with him when they they stop him is they essentially say, like, confess to your sins. We know you did it. Your, your son, your daughter talked about it. We know you killed all these people. And William was like, no, I'm not talking. So they hang him, but then they drop him before he passes out. That's and they're brutal. like, yeah. And then they're like, confess. Or we're going to, we're really going to hang you. And so he confesses and he says that sure enough, the whole family was involved and he tells them where to find some like stolen money and valuables and tells them where all the bodies are. And that's how we got most of the information about how they would kill people is from this interrogation is not the right word. This is an illegal torture. (laughs) Yeah. And look, you, you can't trust everything someone says under that type of duress but like absolutely not but at the no. same time what does he have to gain at that point right it, exactly and they also have enough evidence from what other people have said and the bodies and the cabin yeah. that like he's probably telling the truth for the most part right yeah so <laughs> yeah so he confesses and says that they killed nine men and two women so 11 people Jeez. total i don't know if i believe that number it may be more like i said Uh, He was stripped of all his belongings and eventually just killed right then and there. What people say in terms of how the Kelly family killed their their victims is that they would have somebody sit at the dining room table and they would be feeding him or her and they would put the person's chair on like a trap door to the basement, the cellar. And then at some point, someone would give a signal, they would open the trap door, they would fall in and hope that like they'd break a bone or get hurt. So they're stuck down there. And then someone would go down and finish them off with an axe. As as dramatic and like movie like as that is, they built this cabin super fast. I mean, this is just laying planks down and putting a roof over it. Right. I don't think there's a trap door in the sense of like, there's a mechanism with a button or a lever that like opens it. I I think there was definitely, you know, a, a, a hole in the ground that you could lift up a little door and put people in. So I don't think they like, use the trap door quite the way they say this is just my own theorizing yeah that makes i think sense. yeah i think they probably did more what the benders were supposedly did which is sneak up behind the guest and just whack them on the head and then, and then throw them, them into there. the basement so that that's just my own thing about it was and, and the interesting thing about this kelly story is again it gets overlooked because the benders get a lot of attention but what i found fascinating is this is 10 years after the bloody benders that i mentioned mm-hmm. So a lot of people, because the Benders escaped, assume that the Kelly family is the Bender family and changed their name. I do not believe oh. that. I know it's really cool. It's fascinating. 
but the descriptions and the ages don't match at all. I was going to ask all. about the ages yeah. for the, the kids would be significantly different if it's 10 yes. years later. Because the kids, I think, were older than these two kids back 10 years prior in terms of the uh -huh. Bender family. So they, I do not think this is them. Also, the Bender family, they, the, the two older Benders couldn't really speak English very well. And these people definitely could. They were, they were, seemed like they were from America. Got it. And, um, yeah, so it, it's, I don't think that matches, but I do think the Bender family gets so much national press. And there's mm -hmm. articles, especially when they're they're moving to Kansas, where people are still talking about it, and the mm -hmm. newspapers are probably still writing, you know, articles like clickbaity articles for the time. Oh yeah, that I think the Kelly family was like, oh, that's a good idea. No one's going to catch us doing this. Like, let let's just go for it. Let's learn. It's fascinating from these to think that that they're motivated potentially by that, but motivated in such presumably the the mom or the dad were the you know, the ringleaders of the whole thing, yeah. right? So yeah. how twisted must you be to be like, let's make this a family affair. Yeah. Let's teach our kids how to do this. Let's get our kids to do this. Let's do a It'll nice family great. thing. And, and so, yeah, you got to think about the motivation of it is I do wonder if it was purely like an economical thing. Like this is a way we're going to make money. Them. Yeah. It's like we live in a really hard place to live. Mm -hmm. So let's, this is the best way to make some money and get some things is to, mm -hmm. to steal it. it. But also that's so many people so quickly. That's a lot of people. That like, well, there's I mean, partly thrilled to this too. Yeah. There has to be. And I think, you know, we have to resist the urge. This is what I do. I look at things sometimes. And I'm like, that makes no sense. There's no logic behind it. Well, let's be honest. There's no logic behind this at all anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So saying, you know, why would they do that so quickly? You know, you know, you're going to get caught. Well, because they're not thinking the same way that we do, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? That is, that's a really good point. And that's why it's so important that there are criminal psychologists now, whereas <laughs> back then, they didn't exist. People they that can study exist. this, because uh, that's the best way to help, help ourselves and help others is uh, to yep. actually understand what goes into this. And um, you have to wonder if they came, wherever they came from to that area, were they doing things like that before they came homestead? Yeah, yeah. Before they came, yeah. we have no idea, but no, we don't. Know. There's no way to track it because they could have changed mm -hmm. their name. They could have lied about where they were from. There's no way mm -hmm. to really check back then. So That's dark. Yeah. It's super dark. <laughs> it is very dark and yet fascinating and fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to, we're going to turn ourselves and go across the Atlantic Ocean to to England um, because there's all you got to have if you're talking about 19th century, you know, serial killers, you got to have something in Victorian England because it Absolutely. is such a crazy, dark, interesting time and so place. Uh, so I I basically just picked one what they call Black Widow killers because there were <laughs> a, a lot of women in the 19th century that just poisoned everybody they could. Bitches were fed up, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> and so I basically like closed my eyes and pointed a finger at a list. I was like, okay, I'll I'll tell this one because there are so <laughs> many. Um, but back then, there the reason I think poisoning was. I guess prevalent in a lot of these cases is because you could get away with it. There weren't mm -hmm. always autopsies. Uh, you could buy a lot of these poisons just off the counter and no one would think anything of it. Um, so yeah, a yeah, lot of could... them had medicinal uses if used mm -hmm. in a different way. So yeah, exactly. you go down to your little, little general yeah. store and be like, Oh, I'd like some arsenic, please. Exactly. And nobody thinks twice about it. Exactly. And also the, the birth rate, 
is just especially in Victorian England is just terrible. Yeah. And yeah. and even like I I'm went on Ancestry a number of years ago because I was like, I want to find out about my past and all my relatives are oh, they're all southern farmers. And almost every family in the 19th century that I'm related to, they all had like 12 kids and you look at it oh. and it was it was really confusing at first because you'll see the same name pop up twice and you'll think, oh, there's this is because census records are bad and birth records are bad. It's like, babies oh no, died. it's because babies are dying and they just use yeah. the same name over again. I can't be bothered to think of a new name. So. <laughs> yeah. I already <laughs> got 12 weird. kids. I don't want to think of another one. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of death. And even when marriages would end because of death, people would remarry quickly because you needed to have somebody to help you survive. Income. So people are like, wives and husbands are dying all the time. So again, kind of a perfect situation for somebody that that is a killer to kind of get away with it. So mm -hmm. we're going to talk about Mary Ann Cotton. Uh, she is uh, people that follow these kind of stories have probably heard her name because she is one of like Sounds the like famous a pleasant name. Mary Ann Cotton. <laughs> oh, Eddie, hello. Uh, her birth hello. name was Robson, um, and which is not as pleasant of a name. Mm -hmm. And apparently, in a documentary I watched about her, the Robson family. She's from Northeast England, and the Robson family was actually a clan in Scotland for, for like a hundred or two hundred years before this. Uh, that were they were raiders. They were like basically raid people and steal things uh so that is potentially her heritage because of that name wow. which is Bloodline really of thugs so she uh, as you can guess living in I mean, she was born in 1832 she did not have the best childhood she grew up in a I'm mining sure. town her father was a miner her father died when she was i think 10 uh in a mining accident people didn't have money hard again hard hard life hard life uh she moves out when she's 16 years old, and she actually tries to do something a little different with her life than just be a miner or miner's wife. She tries to become a nurse. And this is in the area of South Hetton or Heaton. I, I apologize okay. for listeners in the UK. I don't know how to say that <laughs> name. But the family she worked for, she wasn't a nurse in like a hospital. She was a nurse for a family, like a well-to-do family that had 12 children. My big, God. Big old family. And a lot of people that study Marianne Cotton's story think that this is probably when she started to hate kids is working with her <laughs> family, which not I do why. not blame her at all. I do not blame her at all. Uh, she ended up getting married and kind of left that work. And she allegedly got pregnant five times and none of her children lived. Oh, no. And some people, again, that have like studied her case, some people assume that there's you know mental illness and depression, which can happen after that yeah and for that sure. that may have influenced her her psyche as well she ended up moving back to northeast england after all of this and her husband uh william who did i write down his last name i did william mowbray her husband became a miner and i actually read two different things he either became a miner or he became a fireman on a steam vessel I would like to say having read a lot of old record things before in my life yeah it could both could be true because okay, he could have been reasonable. a minor for a time and also, you know, those kind of things. And sure. people just mistake one for the other. And they had more children. She had a daughter oh, named man. Isabella, born in 1858. But then she died when she was two. She had another daughter okay. named Margaret Jane, who was born in 1861. A son named John Robert William, born in 63. And Margaret Jane and John both later died. Um, oh, no, Margaret Jane. 
lived. Sorry, I get very confused because there's a lot of kids in this story. I That's apologize. a lot of kids, a lot of similar names. At a lot oh, of and death. we're not even done yet. So <laughs> oh, there, are, there are more to come with all similar names and a lot of them die. Uh, but John does die and he dies from what they say is gastric fever. Uh, 1865 okay. comes along and then William, her husband, dies of what they call typhus fever. And it shouldn't say what okay. they call. That is a real thing, but they're Typhus not. Typhus fever, yeah. Yeah, but they're not They're not really investigating it. They're just like, oh, this person died. How'd he die? Oh, he had typhus. Okay, he sure. died of typhus fever. Oh, sometimes it's also read as intestinal disorder. So again, it depends on what you read there. That's really interesting. Well, that's, that's real my... specific. Intestinal disorder. <laughs> now, it turns out William's life and the life of their children were insured by the Prudential Insurance Company, the PRU, oh. as they called it, which if anybody's listened to my first two episodes of A Study of Strange, William Herbert yep. Wallace in those episodes worked for the PRU. So it's the same insurance yep. company, but decades before. Uh, so yeah, they were insured. William was insured for 35 pounds, which is half a year's wages at the time. So that is a, a good chunk of change. And this might have uh, gave Mary some ideas. I'm just going to I'm just going to call that out. So, I don't need to go through all of her children and all of her husbands cuz cuz this is going to be a too long of an episode if I do. How but many she husbands does, were there? I think 4. Okay. No, maybe 3. Her last husband, this is jumping ahead in the story, but her last husband apparently she never got divorced from a previous husband who did live. He actually left her, thank goodness. No kidding. Because he found out that she was stealing money from him and they had already, they had lost like two of their kids, but he left her. So he didn't die. And I don't think she ever formally got divorced. So her husband after that may have technically legally not been a husband. That's why it's right. kind of like three, four husbands somewhere around there. So uh, yeah, she, she basically for a period of time, she only has one surviving child after many, many die. And she sends her daughter Margaret Chain, uh, no, sorry, her daughter Isabella to live with her mother. Margaret Chain ended up ended up dying before that. Sorry, again, you're going to get confused did. with all the kids. For a period of time, when her her daughter Isabella is living with her mother, she is free from children and a husband. But this doesn't last long. She moves on quickly, and she marries uh, a patient of hers because she does nurse for a little while to to make ends meet. She meets a guy named George Ward in the hospital. He is sickly, which is already mm -hmm. good for her but not sickly enough that he should die very quickly. And yet right. he dies very quickly after getting married. How weird. How weird. And the doctors even notated that they were like, oh, he died. But wow, we weren't expecting that. We, we mm -hmm. thought he would live a little bit longer. So then she starts working for a man named James Robinson. And this is the guy I mentioned that actually survived. Mm -hmm. She works for him for a while, but her mother gets sick. So she leaves his house. She goes, stays with her mother. But her mother then dies just like weeks after she moves in with her mother. Good Lord. And then her daughter ends up dying soon after. She moves back in with the Robinsons. She ends up marrying Mr. Robinson. And he had actually lost a child before she started working for him. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, he, he needs to to get comfort from somebody and the person working and living in his house at the time is Mary. So they end up striking it off. And again, you get married back then because you need the help. So it's like, right. Hey, you're a lady. I'm a man. You're here. Let's do this. <laughs> so, right, right, right. <laughs> so they get married. Right. Yeah. So they get married. They have a couple of kids. She's a fertile woman. <laughs> oh yeah. And Mr. Robinson, uh, he starts to notice as they're married that, uh, mm -hmm. There's two things that kind of stand out to him. One is that 
Mary keeps pressuring him to ensure his family, their kids. And he, she talks about it a lot. And he's like, no, why would we do that? And she pressures and pressures and pressures. And he thinks that's kind of odd. And then he starts noticing, like in his receipts and things, he starts noticing that numbers aren't quite lining up. And he realizes she's been like skimming money and taking money. She's also been selling some valuables around the house. So he gets fed up with her and he takes their son, George, their only surviving child at yeah. the time, and leaves her. And it, which is a very smart man. Get get yeah. out of there when you're picking Run. up these sides. Run. She moves on and she marries someone else, a guy named Frederick Cotton, which is where she gets the name Cotton from. He was brothers with a friend of hers and they marry in 1870. And while they're married, she hooks it up with an old an old boyfriend of hers named Joseph hey. Natris. Yes. And so she's getting around and yeah, I don't need to go through all the details here. Again, this is a cliff notes of the day. Yeah. Essentially, she's killing everybody and she's using arsenic. So you were dead okay. on when you brought up arsenic oh, earlier. Look at that. And no one, again, a lot of people are dying back then. No one's doing autopsy. So people aren't really suspic- sus- suspicious of her behavior. It's just kind yeah, of odd and like sad. A lot, a lot. Like it's a lot. And then she ends up extreme. She ends up hurting herself because she tries to take her son to a like workhouse and she tries to give him away to the workhouse and when she does it she's like you should take him don't worry he won't be here long because quoting this is a quote from her his name was charles by the way charles would go like the rest of the cottons and so wow. the 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 guy at the workhouse um thought that was really odd so he actually told investigators about it they don't really they can't really do anything at the time but then sure enough charles dies when he's back home like Damn. very quickly and this puts her like in the target so to speak i guess it seems super extreme because right now we're looking at it in a chunk but i guess when it's happening over years and over time and the situation the environment like you said of people yeah. dying pretty regularly it's easy to explain things away yes yes 100%. Yes. And so uh, what was interesting at this time is her plan kind of backfired on her because she had been insuring as many as many of her victims as she could. Right. And because the police suddenly have a target on her and they're investigating her insurance payout for her son Charles isn't going through because sure. they're investigating it. So she ends up, long story short, gets arrested, goes on trial. But before she goes on trial, she gets pregnant again. Oh, with, God. I believe it, yeah. <laughs> and this was a typical tactic at the time for women on trial uh, because it's a way to sway some some opinions about you from the sympathy. jury. It has uh, sympathy. It also delays the trial because they wait until after you have birth. So oh. she has to go through a whole pregnancy. She gives birth. Then she's on trial. She's having to hold the baby and take care of the baby on trial. And there are some people that were like, oh, look, it's so sad that she's got a baby. But luckily, not everybody kind of fell for it. And she was convicted and was hung. It is assumed that she killed between 16 to 21 members of her family. <laughs> oh, my God. Face. I don't even have 16 to 21 members of my family. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. Holy crap. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's little interesting thing because i'm researching this as uh what's her name from theranos elizabeth holmes oh yeah holmes is pregnant 
while she was getting her sentence read just, you know, this week or last week, whenever that that. was very recently, she's pregnant again with her second baby. And so part of me is like, oh, I wonder if I wonder if that's a bit of a tactic to like take it easy on her. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an interesting, interesting thing. I don't know much about the Theranos story. I did watch that mini series about her, but I, I, I haven't like got into that <laughs> too much. I haven't so seen I it yet, but I, I'm definitely interested in it. Again, yeah. that's not you know murder and killing, but it's definitely yeah. a psycho oh, yeah. thing oh, that yeah. I just don't get. Yes. So Lady Cotton here, sixteen to twenty-one members of her family. Holy yeah. crap! Yeah. Wow. That's uh, and, you, and that's. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you would think like, like I said, yes, it's obviously a perfect storm. But after a while, don't other people in the family start to look and be like, okay, you've six people around you have yeah. died. That seems extreme. How does it get that big? How does it get that big? And especially, I don't know if she just, you know, you can't Google search somebody. So <laughs> like when she's hooking up with these dudes or getting married. That's true. I don't. I mean, there's got to be enough people around that know her and like can like run into somebody down at the local coffee shop and be like, you oh, think. you're getting married again, huh? <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it's it's definitely really interesting to to think about that. Yeah, it is really, really weird. Um, so our last solved crime we'll do is talk to Dr. Thomas Neil Cream. And this is one of the people, uh, for those that follow true crime and serial killers, you may have heard him because a lot of people suspect that he is Jack the Ripper. Okay. I do not. He was in prison in Illinois at the time of the Ripper killings. So it's it's a leap. Pretty far away. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty far away. And also, serial killers have very distinctive MOs. They have yeah. very specific ways. The, the emotional and psychological reasons they're killing are very specific to them. So when Definitely. someone's outside of the, that MO, it, it really doesn't make sense. And he's very different. Uh, this it, Thomas Cream is also known as the Lambeth Poisoner, is a nickname some people call him. <laughs> and he's a Scottish-Canadian doctor, and he would use uh, strychnine poisoning Ooh. usually to to kill people. And it's said he killed up to 10 people in three countries. Uh, I actually, I don't personally think he killed that many, but a lot of people put that on him. He also had a okay. very big mustache, which I know was the style at the time, but I just don't trust a doctor with a giant mustache. So, no. What lives in there? Wouldn't, That's shady. Yeah. What are you hiding? Yeah. What are you hiding? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, his family immigrated to Canada when he was a kid. They lived in Quebec. He goes to medical school at McGill University in Quebec. Um, he There's a... It, this story has nothing to do with the serial killing, so it only takes up time today, but I really loved it. While he was at medical school, he had a skeleton in his room. He's a medical student. I'm not going to judge him for that. Back then, though, skeletons were real skeletons. They didn't use plastic yeah. and stuff. He, his house or, or apartment building caught fire and burnt down. And for a while, people thought he died in the fire because they found this like burned up skeleton <laughs> that was in his amazing. room. Uh, but that wasn't him. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And that's so, still weird. I'm sorry. Yes, you're yeah. a patient or you're a student, but do you, does everybody really have their own skeletons that they take home with them? Yeah, that's a, that's so. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he ends up, he gets a girlfriend named Flora Elizabeth Brooks, and she's the daughter of a hotel keeper in town and she becomes pregnant. And this is where Dr. Cream's future sort of clinical work comes, begins, I should say, Uh-oh. because he becomes an abortionist. So he Uh-oh. he uh, performs a, a procedure on his girlfriend. Meanwhile, her girlfriend's father is super upset that her daughter got pregnant and forces Dr. Cream to marry her. And he didn't want to get married. 
Uh-oh. So as soon as they get hitched, Dr. Cream is like, eh, I got to go. I'm going to go study more medicine in London. So he hides, hightails it out of town to get away from his wife. Oh. And yes. And so he's studying uh, medicine in London. And then, you know, for a few years, he comes back to Canada and he founded a clinic that performed abortions. And so in May of 1879, uh, this is considered his first victim. A woman named Kate Gardner is found dead outside the back of his clinic. A bottle of chloroform is found nearby the body. Police go to Dr. Cream and they're like, do you know this woman? And he's like, yes, she came to me for an abortion, but I, I didn't, I did not provide an abortion, nor did I give her chemicals to kill herself with and, and sort of puts it off. But because he's being investigated and this is behind his clinic, mm-hmm. it, people in town start to talk. The rumors start to swirl. It kind of hurts As his reputation. Do. So Dr. Cream ends up, and this becomes a, a common thing for him. He writes, a, he forges a letter. That is supposedly from Kate Gardner, and it's a suicide note. And she claims this like local businessman is the father of her, the child that she wants to have an abortion for, and and she's going to kill herself. Meanwhile, all her friends, all her family look at the letter, and they're like, that's not her handwriting. That's not her signature. And so it's an interesting thing because Dr. Cream ends up using, he didn't get away with it. Like the letter did not work. But yet he he actually uses letters again and again and again. We'll find out. Um, but this still, while he's being investigated, he it hurts his reputation enough that even though he wasn't arrested, he did flee town. He moved to Chicago. Okay. And this is 1879. I forget if I ever gave any dates in this. So it's important to know. Thank you. In 1880, he performed an abortion on Julia Faulkner. Uh, in some of the articles, she's re- uh, listed as Mary Ann. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that's just somewhere there's a mix-up or records are weird from back then, which they are. Yeah. And uh, he gets arrested um, because of her death, but he gets acquitted because of lack of evidence. Uh, but he he is, people do investigate him right away. That's what's interesting about him as a serial killer. I wonder what, doesn't, the, what led them to him that time. Yeah, I, I did not dive in deep enough to find out, but I do gotcha. think it's probably because she had an abortion. People probably know where she went for the abortion, you know, like gotcha. that kind of thing. Um, and then there was a woman named Ellen Stack who died from essentially an overdose of a prescription. And okay. Cream is the one that provided her with that prescription, but he blamed the pharmacist. He was yeah. like, no, no, it's not me. The pharmacist messed up the chemicals and blah, blah, blah. Of course. And so no charges are ever brought forward in that because there's just not enough evidence. Right. Uh, he just and, clearly is just a shitty doctor at this point. Right. <laughs> in a everyone's shitty doctor. eyes. <laughs> a shitty doctor that then goes a little too far because he ends up killing a husband of a woman that he's having an affair with. Oh. And yeah, and you can read about this. The Chicago Tribune articles, uh, they wrote about it. So you can actually read about this still. Um. So yeah, this in 1881, the, the gentleman's name was Daniel Stott and, and Dr. Cream is having an affair with Julia Stott. And he is arrested, he is sentenced and goes to prison. And this is during, he's there for 10 years. So that's when the Ripper murders happen is while he's very, gotcha. very well recorded in prison in yeah. Illinois. Uh, so as soon as he gets out of prison, he moves back to London, kind of has to get away, reinvent himself. And he <laughs> lives on Lambeth Palace Road in London. And he met a woman named Ellen Donworth, who was a prostitute, and she got poisoned. And 
Dr. Thomas Cream, instead of just trying to somehow not be associated with these victims, he just starts blaming other people, kind of like he did with the pharmacist, kind of like he did with the forged letter. He blames a local businessman and says he's the killer. And then he wrote the coroner anonymously. He wrote a letter to the coroner claiming that he could tell the coroner who killed the girl for a reward, a fee. Of course. He will tell him. Yeah. And... <laughs> Around this time as well, Dr. Cream was supposed to go on a date with a woman named Elizabeth Masters, and he never showed up on his date because he met uh, a prostitute named Matilda Clover. And he went to Clover's home and then left. And later that night, someone found Clover screaming. She's in a ton of pain in her house. And the person that found her calls for a doctor. A doctor comes and treats her and being very much the 18, what is this, 1890 now around there. Mm -hmm. uh, the doctor said, oh, she's been drinking too much. She's a prostitute. So she's going to oh, die because she's drinking too much. And so that's that's why they claim that she dies that evening is because she drank too much. Well, sure. a few days later, Dr. Cream starts asking his landlady. He's like, oh, did you hear about this uh, Mrs. Clover that uh, died the other night? What do you know about it? He starts talking to people and asking around. He accuses another doctor, like the doctor that found her and helped her of killing her. Good and Lord. he writes writes a letter under the pseudonym M. Malone <laughs> okay, to the doc, doctor. This isn't working yeah. well for you so far. He's he's tr basically tries to blackmail the doctor and mm -hmm. saying like, I know you killed her. I can prove that you killed her because you poisoned her. But what's interesting about this is, remember, the doctor thought she died of drinking too much. Right. Didn't think she was poisoned. But here's a letter claiming he this she person can prove she was poisoned. So it becomes very evident to the this doctor takes the letter to the police the police begin investigating because they're like, wait, if she was poisoned, then whoever wrote the letter killed her because they're the only oh, person oh, that knows. <laughs> Excellent so, detective work. Again, long story, Cliff Notes version, version of this short, they actually look at the body, they exhume it, they study it. She was poisoned uh, from strychnine. And uh, yeah, the authorities begin to realize that it could be this Dr. Cream fella. And, <laughs> and at that point, are they able, I mean, he's so far from home, basically, are they able to connect him? Like he's got a history of doing some bad He's shit. got a history. And, and I think they are because there is a story. I don't know how true this story is, but I think it just by the nature of the story it does make me think that in reality, they were able to connect that this guy has been in prison for murder and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Because there's, a, there's this interesting story about a New York police officer who comes to London for holiday. And Dr. Cream gives him a tour of all the poisoning killings going on and has tons of detail. Like, oh, over here on the left, this is where the woman <laughs> like gives her way too much detail. And so the police officer talks to local police officers and is like, oh, this Dr. Cream guy, he's, he's really cool. He knows all these details about these cases. And there's a, a local investigator named, uh, by the name of Tumbridge, who is the one leading the case. And he basically figured out it was Cream right away. So yeah. he was just putting all the evidence together. They didn't have enough to really get him for murder right away, but they did have him enough for black blackmail because of the letter he wrote. So they Got arrest it. him for blackmail. And they did this strategically thinking, okay, while he's arrested for that, we'll have enough time to start putting together the pieces of the murder trial, and then we can get him for the murder. So it's kind of like arresting mafia members for tax evasion. It's like, Absolutely. let's just arrest him for tax because we know we can do that. Get him off the street. <laughs> yep. They arrest him for blackmail. They're able to actually, during that time, piece together enough information and enough evidence during the, with the murders to to then send him to trial for murder. 
and uh, he's arrested and uh, that's the end of it. Uh, I, I think he was hung. I didn't write that down, but I, I do imagine because that's what they did back then with murderers. So I, I do think he was probably hung back then. Um, yeah. So there's there's around five poisonings when I was counting it. That's like for sure him. But again, with a lot of these people, it could be a lot more. Could be a lot more, but Dr. Cream, I don't think was the smartest guy. So maybe, I was gonna say he's a not. doctor, so you assume he's an intelligent yeah. person, but then damn, really dumb yeah. choices. Yeah. <laughs> That's the lack of logic we were talking about before. Like, That's right. Yeah, assign yeah. the proper way to behave to crazy. And you people. know, you 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 say that, and it makes me also realize I don't think the women were never robbed. They weren't. So I, I think mm. the motivation behind his killings had to purely be for the killing. There's there's yeah. some kind of thing there. Psycho. Um, they're so psycho. And again, the MO, if you know Jack the Ripper, because some people claim he's Jack the Ripper, the Ripper obviously had a great emotional distress related very specifically to women because he would to butcher the, the sexual organs were like completely mm-hmm. butchered. Whereas this guy's just poisoning. Like there's such a drastic difference in the way mm-hmm. that these people operated that, yeah, I, I, I am not I'm not one of the people that takes takes credence in the uh, the Jack the Ripper, Dr. Cream. No, plus like the, the most basic thing is the timeline doesn't add up. Yeah, he was yeah. obviously incarcerated when that was happening. Yeah. So exactly. All right. So now we're going to some unsolved cases. Mm, let's solve yeah. them, Michael. Let's solve them. You and me right. got this. God, I wish. <laughs> I actually had a note at the beginning of my notes. I was like, maybe I'll say this. Because I do try to come up with like theories in most of the cases sure. I have. These are more like I don't even have theories on some of these cases. I feel like there's it's so far removed with time that it's like yeah. in theories in terms of like, oh, it had to be this suspect. Like I can't mm-hmm. do that. I can have theories about some other aspects of it, but not today. Sure. Maybe some other ones. You'll come back. You we'll, we'll, when there's one I can I can break open. You'll have to come back on. Oh my God, please. It's yeah, my dream. That'd be amazing. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to start with the Austin Axe murders, also sometimes Ooh. called the Servant Girl Annihilator, sometimes the oh Midnight Assassin. I know there's amazing names for some of these. These sound like B-rate horror movie titles. Yeah, I love yeah. It. Servant yeah, Girl absolutely. Assassinator. Servant Girl an- Annihilator, which is annihilator. even a little bit better than Assassinator, I think, in terms of like movie titles so this one is relatively famous i I would imagine i haven't looked it up yet i would imagine there's other podcasts specifically about this case because it is really interesting and maybe some of these as well i might do deeper dives on to do bigger episodes in the future um so yeah the austin axe murders this took place in did i did i just think that i would remember the date because i do that sometimes don't write it down because i'll be like i'll know when this happened 1884 there we go 1884 um, or a- into 85, because I think it started at New Year's Day, 85. Yeah, Jeez. January 1st, 1885. So uh, the Austin Axe murderer claimed the lives of eight people, seven women and one man, and injured at least eight other people. And most of these were servants. That's why it's the servant girl annihilator who annihilator. lived in the home that they worked in. And this person would come in, attack them while they were in bed. Some of the victims he would drag outside and either Oof. sexually assault or beat or bludgeon and 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 mutilate and uh, yeah, so just not not good things at all. This is not a family friendly episode, by the way. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> figured not. that out yet. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I I've read a little bit about this case in the past, and I used to think that this was uh, only targeted African American servants. Like that's what I, in my mind, that's what I always thought this case was. But actually, two of the victims were white, so it wasn't specific to race. It may still have been targeted at black people, and maybe just 
accidentally found yeah. white victims. Um, but there there could be a racial motivation in, in these murders as well. And I'm sure somebody's looked into that, into that a lot more than I have. And Austin was not the city it is now. I know it's still not a huge city, but back then it was even much smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a population around this time of around 11,000 people. All of the streets were dirt at the time. Nothing had sort of been paved with rocks or stone or early early street asphalt. I don't know what they used back then. Mm-hmm, well. It was still still dirt. They were building the, the state capitol building at the time. Uh, this is interesting to note. They had a state insane asylum that had 500 patients in it, which is a lot of patients. For That's a, a huge a percentage of the population. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they would put people... To to be fair, because mental hospitals in that era are probably one of the most frightening places in the world, oh, but they would put people in there for just like having a headache. It's like, oh, I've got to go to the asylum. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. My wife won't have sex with me enough, so send her to the, go insane to the asylum. asylum. <laughs> yeah. So on January 1st, 1885, a servant named Molly Smith was found in the backyard. Her head was split in two, and she also oh. had stab wounds. Her boyfriend, who lived with her, was also attacked. He he survived, but he was attacked and, and badly injured. They were African-American. And the police, as you can imagine, African-Americans in Texas in 1885, uh, the police did not do a very thorough investigation. No. And uh, the, what they would do at the time to investigate murders is they would bring in bloodhounds. The bloodhounds would try to get a scent, and then they just follow the bloodhound and be like, Where, wherever the bloodhound goes, there's our killer. But the wow. bloodhounds couldn't really pick up a scent. They couldn't do anything. So the police okay. can't do a lot. However, they were still able to arrest somebody. They basically just said, oh, Molly Smith's ex-boyfriend. He's black because it had to be it had to be a black person, and I'm saying of that course. as as a cop at the time. That's not me saying that. That's me in character. And they arrested him, even though he could not have done it. So this is where our second scene comes in, Bridget. Oh, this is exciting. yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is just if you scroll down further on that page. Yep, got it. Um, so you can read. Why don't you read Grooms? He's the the police and inv- the city marshal lead investigator, okay. and I'll read everybody else because there's. A bunch of people in this thing. Okay, I don't and do this... accents, but I should try. I oh, feel don't. like I should try. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. So this is uh, this takes place in the. I I did not write down his name, so when I wrote the scene, I just call him boyfriend. So this is Molly Smith, the the recent victim of the axe murder. This is her ex boyfriend's uh, home. So Molly Smith's ex-boyfriend is eating lunch surrounded by family and friends in his home when the police bust through the door. Grooms Lee, the city marshal, leads the charge. Officers push boyfriend to the ground and handcuff him. You're under arrest. What did I do? You murdered Molly Smith. Take him away, boys. A friend steps in front of the arresting officers. Uh, He couldn't have killed Molly, sir. We read the paper. He was with us when she was killed. Likely story. Another friend steps forward. He was. We had a party. The whole neighborhood was with him the entire night. A police officer even jumps into the conversation. It's true, boss. I was there. It was a good party. (laughs) Doesn't matter if everybody was with him the whole night. Everyone says we were. Because we know he did it. I'll prove it. Mr. Ex-Boyfriend? Yes. Did you know Miss Molly Smith? Yes, of course. There you have it. That's as good as a confession in my opinion. 
So there you go. There's a very dorky scene that I, I wrote just earlier today. Um, That's yeah. brutally like spot on, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So he it, and I look, it's a it's a dorky scene, but I'm not exaggerating. He had so many witnesses that he was at a New Year's party the whole evening. And if he had killed her, he would have had to leave the party. He would have been covered in blood covered in and blood. come bla- back to the party, but he wasn't. He was surrounded by people. The whole, I don't think he was probably ever alone before police even came to him, and yet they still really, really targeted him. I don't think he was ever convicted of anything. Thank goodness. Um, I could be wrong but with they that. Did Everybody knows. They did. I think they arrested him, or at least they brought him in. And I, I didn't mm-hmm. write down after again Cliff Notes. I was just kind of moving quickly right through on. it. Um, but yeah, so if anybody wants to clarify that, write in a study of gmail.com. Let me know what happened to the boyfriend and what his name was, because I totally forgot to write it down. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so by March of that year, so it's a, you know, what, three, four months later, there mm-hmm. are more victims. The next two, some people claim to be probably from different attackers, but they, they do get lumped into it because it could be the same axe murderer. It's Christine Martinson and Clara Strand. They were both severely wounded by similar attackers, but not killed. They survived. And they. Def- this is where a lot of diverse accounts of what the killer looks like come into play, because they describe him. Basically, everybody describes him different. Some people call him a white man wearing black face. Some call him a black man wearing a scarf. Some call him a white dude with a cowboy hat. And a, oh, like the descriptions of the killer are so varied. It just makes it even harder to kind of even come up with an idea of who who likely could even Where be a suspect. Where do you even start like, with that? You can't start anywhere. It's, it's just so yeah. hard. The city, meanwhile, as you can tell from the earlier scene we did, they claim that African-Americans did it because- Of course. You, good honest white folk don't do anything bad ever um so it's it's a purely you know racist driven investigation when it starts so on on may 6th eliza shelley was the next kid's uh victim and she was killed she did not survive days later irene cross was stabbed and bled to death and where she worked and lived and then in june clara dick was attacked but survives this is one of those basically when they're survivors a lot of people don't always lump them into the the murder victims they think it could have been someone else but for the Which sake that's of that's a, a big concern too like how many people do they how think many are people are going around, around yeah town stabbing and stabbing people, people and, to death? yeah <laughs> absolutely uh, there's another victim killed by an axe, and, and then an ice pick was shoved into her ear as well. Oh. So there's there's definitely an overkill aspect to this yeah, serial killer. That sounds personal. Yes, and and then a woman named Rebecca Ramey was later attacked with along with her daughter. I think they were sleeping in the same bed together when they were attacked. Uh, Rebecca survived, but her daughter did not make it, which is just devastating. And then there was a a larger group were attacked in September. I think it was four people. Two of them did not make it. And then on Christmas, so it's about a year that this has all been taking place. On Christmas, Susan Hancock was attacked while sharing a bed with her daughter as well. That same night, Eula Phillips and her husband are attacked. Eula does not survive. And because her husband survives, he gets arrested. And he gets convicted just for her killing, not for all the others. The police are just able to manipulate their case into just his wife. This is also, that's an interesting thing because this is also, these are the white victims, the Phillipses. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So there is a difference. There is a difference to this where maybe people thought 
he blamed it on the on this famous axe murder going around and he just attacked his wife i don't have all the details on that but he is convicted he it, it is later overturned so he does not okay. get it all pinned on him there are rumors in the african american community at the time that the killer was a white man that had supernatural powers and oh, could geez. turn himself invisible Okay. Which if that many people are getting it, yeah. But if if I get it though, like if that many people yeah. are getting attacked and you're trying to create reasons for how it's happening and why this person's not getting caught, like I can easily see that happening. The city, I mean, that's it, a brutal, bloody crime scene. I mean, attacking somebody with an axe, you're not walking out of there without blood on you. You're just yes, not. Yes. And to do no. it repeatedly over and over again, and nobody sees anything. Even with survivors, no one can pinpoint it. Like that's, it's so bonkers. So by my count, I think it's 10 victims uh, being attacked with an axe out of 12 that were likely killed. Um, So that's, that's why it's the axe murder of Austin is an axe was used for, if not all of them, most of them. Most of them. Yeah. Now during the attacks, this is the thing that actually creeps me out the most when you think about it. During the attacks, the, the killer actually interacted with two young boys and they were fine. They were left <gasps> without being attacked. Mm. Um, one was eight, a guy named Douglas Brown. And he actually called the killer a big, fat African-American man is the way okay. he described him. Uh, but again, there's people are describing this guy in so many different ways. Um, and the the killer covered up the kid with a blanket and was like, Shh, covered him up with a blanket before the killings. Oh, uh, the other child was Eula and James Phillips, two-year-old son. Thomas and he was sleeping with his parents when it happened. The killer came in and gave him an apple, kind of like distract him and occupy his time. It, yeah, that that's so freaky. That is that's so bizarre. Freaky. And the fact that they're yeah. both boys, so he's clearly targeting women, women, yeah, and yeah. younger women too, because two of them were daughters, right? Presumably they were young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it just stopped. The attacks just stopped. Yes. Yeah, so they they stopped. There is there's a show on PBS called History Detectives. And this is, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. Someone that was working for that show has a theory that it's a guy named Nathan Elgin, who was a 19 uh, African-American cook in town. And the reason the if it is him, the reason they the attack stopped is because <clears throat> I think it was in January of the following year of 86 that he was actually caught attacking a woman with a knife. And the police were there. They were able to like chase him, and there was a kerfuffle. And they actually <laughs> shot him, and he died the next day. I don't know how true that is. I wouldn't like the reason this is still unsolved is because you can't one hundred percent pinpoint it on this guy. Mm-hmm. Some of the local investigators just claim he's just he was just drunk and a bad guy. He wasn't. It's not you know a different mo again. Yeah, of somebody that's strategically targeting people as a serial killer and someone that's just a very aggressively violent person that loses his temper and whatever, right. still a very bad guy, but it's just a different scenario. So that's why some people don't, don't a hundred percent say it's him, but it could have been. And that may be it a reason. Been. And they do yeah. kind of say that somebody that does this really only stops when they get caught or they die, right? Get caught or die. There are, there are some people though that claim there, there is this psychological thing that does happen with some serial killers where they just reach a point and it's like they, they, the, the gratification they're getting out of it changes. Mm -hmm. So they no longer do it. So there are some killers in history. There are very specific examples of some that just stop. They don't like slow down. They just stop. So it's, I would say it's three things. I would say they, they get killed, they die or the rare ones that just 
mentally something triggers in them that's a little different and they stop. I guess that's kind of what happened with the Golden State Killer, right? He yeah. just yeah. got to a just point stopped. where he just stopped and lived his life. Yeah. And some people, depending on what your theory is on, like the Zodiac Killer, because if right. it's not someone that some people think it is, he could have also stopped. Yeah, there's a number of examples out there of that. That's crazy. So Austin, the city of Austin was basically terrified even after the killing stopped for decades. And this is just a nerdy history thing that is so me, but something I came across (laughs) that I love is Austin bought these things called moon towers from the city of Detroit. They're hundreds and hundreds of feet high. They're basically just big lights that light up a city pre you know, street lights being everywhere. And I think some of them are still around Austin as like historic monument kind of things but they bought some moon towers from detroit and they would turn them on and there's actually like local newspaper stuff from the time even though this is 10 years after the killings when they did it Mm -hmm. but even still 10 years later a lot of people would comment in the newspapers of uh women now feel comfortable to walk outside so because there's light there's light that is fascinating (laughs) it is it is and as as per my guess, I'm going much longer than I expected today. So I apologize. <laughs> Don't apologize. This is so cool. Okay, it's so fascinating good. to me. Because I have honestly, of all the stuff that I have read and know, I have not heard of any of these. Oh, good, good. Oh, so that's, that's awesome. what I love. That's what I love. <laughs> I, I, I wish, you know, I yeah, I, some of these I will have to do longer episodes about one day yeah. just because they are they are so fascinating. Yeah, um, like Mary Cotton rings a bell, but, yeah, yeah. you know, not to the extent of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And hers, I had to, I had to skip like most of my notes as you could tell. Cause I was like, Oh, she's married other kids. Cause I was like, we'll be here all day. If I read yeah. out all, <laughs> all of her family members. Yeah. So our next unsolved case is the Denver strangler of 1894. And this is, this is so sad to say, but it maybe have had only killed three people, which seems like, Oh, this is basically like a good yes. guy after everybody we've talked about today. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Low body count. He's practically well, a teddy yeah. bear. It's <laughs> a saint. Um, so the Denver Strangler, This t- and this all happened pretty quick. This is a matter of like two, two and a half months. And Denver was a pretty big city for 1894 in the West. There was 100,000 people mm-hmm. in it. And the, the first victim was a woman named Lena Tapper who was a French, uh, quote unquote, sex servant. So (laughs) yeah, I would, uh, the way I kind of explain this to myself anyway, is like a very high end escort, like more than just like a Jack the Ripper woman wandering the streets, hoping she can pay for a room for the night. This is like a high end escort kind of stuff. She's not on Craigslist, as it were. <laughs> right, right. And she's a, a mistress to a, a local guy named Richard Dimity, which I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. So people that know this case better, let me know. Um, and she was found strangled to death in her bed in her house at 1911 Market Street in Denver. She was part of a group called the Macro, or um, I don't know French, so Le Vaquille d'Amour. Oh, um, that was believable. Oh, good. That's believable. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, so she's she's a sex worker strangled in her bed. And this is around September 3rd. And I don't know much about the investigation. So I don't know. It's a sex worker. And historically, police don't put too much effort into those. Mm -hmm. So I but I can't say for certain. Uh, The next uh, victim was Marie Contessot. She was a member of the same sort of sex group 
high-end sex workers. I could not find her address anywhere, but a, a newspaper I found from the time said that her house was in the same row of houses as the other victims. So I think all the victims, well, I know two of them at least are on the same street. So she might have mm-hmm. also been on the same street or nearby. So all in the same area. And she lived with her boyfriend, Tony Sander. And Tony, the story goes that he fell asleep. And he was when he awoke, he found in the bedroom that she was dead, strangled. And a cord was found dug into her flesh around her Ooh. neck. Yeah. And she was, uh, a lot of money was missing. Like, apparently they only found like less than a dollar in her entire house. And she was well off. She was a high-end sex, which she had. She was doing well for herself. So the fact that they didn't find money, they think uh, theft is part of the the motivation to these murders. Police started just arresting people. They were like, (laughs) hey, you, come here. You might be the person that killed So I think they arrested five men total, including the first victim's lover, Richard Dimity. Okay. And all men ended up getting released because there's not enough evidence. It definitely has the feeling of like, yeah, you, you're nearby. <laughs> you're maybe <arrested>. something will stick. <laughs> yeah, maybe something will stick. Uh, the third and final victim is a, a Japanese woman named Kiku Oyama. And again, she lived on the same street. I think she lived at 1925. There it is, 1925 Market Street. So very close to Lena Tepper, the first victim. She had only lived in Denver for about a year. She moved to the US to go to the World's Fair in Chicago, the famous, famous World's Fair. Oh yeah, that was and a thing. Yeah, she stuck in the States and then eventually moved to Denver that year. And on November 13th, she went to bed when her boyfriend, Emi, took a walk. And Emi came home from the walk and found uh, Kiku on bed with a towel around her neck, but she was still alive. She was like gasping for breath. So he didn't know what to do. So he runs outside. He grabs neighbors. He's trying to get somebody to help. A police officer is nearby, overhears them. So he, the police officer comes too. They go inside. And by the time they're back inside, she's dead. They noticed that everything had been rummaged through. So like drawers are open, doors are open, closets are open, everything's open. So again, there could be a motivation of of theft involved with these killings. And Emi, the boyfriend, gets arrested. Of course he does. There's no evidence, though. um, So I don't think any of that sticks, of course. The there are some kind of usual suspects, the people that write about this case. Richard Demity, the, the boyfriend of the first victim. I don't know enough about this to really say whether or not however he oh good that is the right person i was gonna say the right thing uh <laughs> richard actually was prosecuted for the crimes oh he was acquitted there's not enough evidence there but the strange thing about his case is he moved to brazil immediately after he was acquitted that's a red so flag it's a red flag but what i tried to look up and i could not find so listeners if anybody out there has the information, a study of change at gmail.com, I wanted to find out if he had already moved away while the other murders took place because they happened. Afterwards. Oh, that's an it interesting may, question. It may not have been because they happened kind of quickly together. So he, there may not have been enough time for the trial mm-hmm. or whatever, but it still is something worth looking into in terms of mm-hmm. like, was this after everybody died or not? Uh, there was also a guy named H. Meller who was caught strangling a woman and was about to cut her. Similar to the previous case we talked about, Mm -hmm. police didn't even pin all the murders on this guy because they was like, nah, he's just a bad dude. He's 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 just a bad dude. I don't. It's like a different mo. Like he was drinking a lot and you know just a a violent 
obnoxious dude that should be arrested for other things, but he didn't kill yeah. all the other women, especially because he was about to cut her. Cutting was not involved. Not a of part of his murders. So yeah, so that's just my thoughts. So to wrap up this evening, we're going to move on. This is actually a case I do want to do a bigger deep dive and a story on, but it's the Tim's Torso murders, also called the Embankment murders. Everything has multiple names on today's episode. Tim's Torso murder. That's Yeah, and brutal. Tim's, this is the, the Tim's River in London. So T-H-A-M-E-S, oh, yeah. And what I have always loved about this case is it happens at the exact same time and in the same area of Jack as Jack the Ripper. So this is where Jack the Ripper oh. makes a comeback in our case. Some people put the two things together like, oh, there's dismembered women in one hand and cut up and mutilated women on the other. They're the same killer. It's all in the same area. I don't believe that. Same with even, inv- I'll give investigators at the time, you know, the the props they should get. They didn't even put the two together because they're so drastically different. Gotcha. They're the same area at the same time, but they're very different. Well, it's easy to think why people would want to put them together. Oh, Yeah. As disturbing as it is to think about the fact that there's somebody out there butchering prostitutes and whatnot, it's even more disturbing to think that's happening and there's somebody else out there doing it. There's somebody it. else doing it at the same time in the yeah. same fucking place. Like that's that is brutal. Oh man. Man, God. <laughs> London in in Victorian England is a place. Uh-uh. Oh, and it was all smoky and terrible back then. Dark and, and diseasey and yeah, not a, not a not a good place to live at the time. No. At the time, I love London now. Time. One of my favorite cities. Same. But yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I don't want to go too much down the rabbit hole in this because I don't have all day. But yeah, a, a killings that are happening at the same time as Jack the Ripper. The there are four common victims that are like almost like Jack the Ripper has the con- canonical victims. This is yeah. similar. It's like four canonical victims of the the Tim's torso murders. Um, only one body was ever identified. Ooh. So the Tim's torso killer, he dismembered his victims and dismembering because I'm a nerd, nerd enough person that I was like, let me get my definition straight. So I actually what exactly does sure. that entail. So it's the act of cutting, ripping or tearing or pulling or Jesus. otherwise disconnecting limbs uh, from a living or dead body. Okay. Yeah. So, and there is a psychological difference with killers that dismember versus like the severe mutilation with Jack the Ripper. So again, just kind of different, different MOs. Right. Uh, also, none of the like sexual organs were cut up and stuff with the the Tim's torso murders, which is basically what Jack the Ripper did. Like that is that, that was is, his that thing. was his target. Yeah. So these cases are so strange and disturbing on their own that they all kind of have their own names, like each victim's killer. So there's the Rainham mystery, the Whitehall mystery, the murder of Elizabeth Jackson, and the Pynchon Street Torso murder. And they're all likely the same Ooh. killer, though. Well, Whitehall was the area of Jack the Ripper, right? Yes. Yeah, that yeah. was Whitechapel, but I think it's- Oh, close. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, these are all not far from Whitechapel in, in my under my my very- LA brain understanding of London. They're all in the same area. <laughs> right. Uh, so the first, uh, I think this is the first, it's the Rainham mystery. This is 1887. And the remains of a body were found in the Thames river and it was found by workers. So they were likely like factory workers that were all like along the river and they found the body. No cause of death could be determined because even though they found other body parts later on, they found the torso first. They found other body parts over like the next month or two in the river and they were all connected like surgically. They were a, a, a surgeon, not surgically, but a surgeon was able to say like, oh, these are all the same body. Yeah. They couldn't figure out what killed her. I know she was dismembered, but like she could have been killed before that. And that helps in investigating, but they couldn't tell because they're so 
cut up. It was just hard and time had passed. It was really tough. And there was no head? No head. That is correct. Oh. Yeah, no head. So then there's the Whitehall mystery in 1888. And I think this began in September where dismembered remains are found this time at three different locations in the city. The famous part of this story is that I think it's the left leg that was found, not in the river, but actually on a plot of land that was about to become Scotland Yard. So it was found Stop at the it. place that they build Scotland Yard. Yeah, that's, that's how I actually awesome. found out about this. I think I heard that in a Jack the Ripper documentary. So pretty, pretty ironic that the famous police headquarters would be built right on top of where this leg was yeah. found. Uh, and then other parts of the body were found along the river through like September of that year. And these but still similarly, again, no head. I don't think so. I didn't write that down, but I'm pretty sure no head. And again, these were able to be matched as like all one victim. And uh, Elizabeth Jackson is next. Obviously, they identified her because there's a name to the story. Yes. And this is on June 4th, 1889, so the following year. And her torso was found in the Thames River. More body parts are found along the river the next week. Um, and this one's like, in my understanding of the case, cut up and dismembered more than the other ones because they found okay. like a liver, a leg, a part of a torso. What Like there's lots of parts oh. they end up finding. Oh and even though they couldn't find her head, they were still able to ID her through other various methods. And Somebody she recognized was, her liver? <laughs> some some yeah i know that liver um she this is the really terrible part of the story is she was pregnant and Oof. uh she was a homeless prostitute so again this is where a lot of the connections with like jack the ripper come in sure next is the pension street torso murders this is in september of 1889 so the same year and a policeman actually found a torso under a railway arch at pension street in whitechapel the the thinking, which makes perfect sense, is that whoever this was was killed somewhere else, and then this part mm -hmm. of her body was dumped in that spot. Mm -hmm. uh, genitals not wounded, anything like that. Again, just to to not connect it directly to the Ripper, because this is Whitechapel where this is found. There, this one has a lot of rumors and speculations. A lot of like locals are like, I know who did it. It's my neighbor. Like everybody's like pointing fingers at people. None of them are confirmed or. Dis even disprove like they're all just local speculation right. but you can read about a lot of those uh there are two other victims that happened before 1872 ish there's a dismembered woman found in london oh also in 1884 another woman and then some uh, like modern writers connect it to a murder in paris that happened in like 1902 or 1903 i don't have enough evidence to have That's an opinion jump. one way or the other yeah right. it does seem like a big jump um, but that is the story of the the Torso Tim's murder. So Do happening at the same time as Jack the Ripper, man. You oh, may gosh. not know this, but I'm yeah. wondering something, you know, the dismembering ones always are intriguing because a lot of them, for example, the Black Dahlia, which was never yeah. solved yeah. per mm -hmm. officially, there's yeah. a surgical yes. uh element to it right yeah. like somebody yeah. that knows how to do that has a level of knowledge yeah. that your average you know murderer doesn't yeah. is that the case with these that is the know? case with this one specifically with this one and i buy that more especially the the third victim who was so caught up like yeah it doesn't seem like they're hacking and slashing it seems yeah. methodical and like if i had this is a weird thought to have very macabre <laughs> but like if i had to dismember a body i literally wouldn't know what to do I'd be laid exactly. things everywhere. So I do think this one is very truly someone had to know 
either medical knowledge or my brain jumps to like a butcher, but even then, like you're not dealing with human bodies all the time. So there is a difference. So, and the tools, the tools, see the Jack, the Ripper case, people always talk about like a lot of the investigators would say it's gotta be even one of the prominent theories of Jack, the Ripper is that doctor. Mm -hmm. I don't, I've never, even when I was a kid learning about Jack, the Ripper, I was never like, Oh yeah, it had to be a doctor because of all the, cause that just seemed, that seems more slash and crazy. That's what I would say. Yeah. Again, that's just me. I'm not an uh-huh. investigator. I'm not a Same. medical person, so I don't know. But like, yeah, I I have never really bought into that with Jack the Ripper. I think it could be anybody. But yeah, these, I think someone someone had to have knowledge about how to dismember a body, I would think. Mm-hmm. You know, you like, would think. Yeah. I mean, that's intense. Yeah. Very intense. So intense. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so that is all our cases today. And I, I just want to, again, kind of reiterate what I said before we get into the unsolved ones is I, I didn't come in today being like, I have theories on these. It was more yeah. of like, these are, these are just fascinating cases that I think get overlooked that I think should be looked at by not just fans of true crime, but even like the criminologists that do like to go investigate historical murders and crimes, because there may be enough there to actually start to pinpoint some of the suspects for the unsolved ones. Like you never know what can happen. So I, I do think they need more attention. Jack the Ripper gets all all the all the credit. Gets all the glory. It gets all the glory. And uh, no, these I agree are with you. Like looking looking at something like this last one. Okay, yes, there's a hundred. No, Denver was a hundred thousand people. London was yeah, large yeah. at the time, oh, right? Yeah. Like oh, that yeah. area yeah. is large. Oh yeah. But you have to be able to weed weed some things down, right? Like look yeah. at who are the doctors who would have the knowledge who was in yeah. the area. Obviously, this isn't something that we do, but it seems like somebody now whose mind thinks differently, who can track things differently, there's got to be a way to come up with some viable. And stuff. and you never know. Nowadays with you know DNA and all of that stuff, yeah. some of these cases may, and again, I just did cliff note kind of stuff for these. Some I've, re- I've investigated or researched more than others today, but I haven't gone in deep enough to find out like are there still bits of clothing or potential murder weapons i know some of the bloody bender one because that's the one i'm diving in for for a future episode that one they still have some of the potential murder weapons in museums so it's like is there anything we can do to find dna with any of these things is there old newspaper articles that connect something that the newspaper hasn't been found? So it has been digitized and it's on some, you know, back in a filing cabinet in, in a city record somewhere. Absolutely. A lot of the Jack the Ripper stuff, because it is such a popular case, a lot of the yeah. old letters and things are saved. So yeah. like, what about some of these others? I bet some stuff exists. There has um, to be. Yeah. Yeah. You would But think. who's got the time and the resources and right, the energy? Right. Somebody has to really yeah. dedicate themselves to yeah. that. Instead of yeah. Elon Musk buying Twitter, he should, oh my God. this is my opinion, but he should just, in you know, put a lot of that money of his to yeah. solving cold cases. Dude, I'd be way more interested in that. <laughs> it would be. Think of all, he could do so well on all the documentaries that would be made after all. Right? <laughs> yeah. I would watch every single one yeah. of them too and Netflix, read every single book. Yeah. Man, it would be, it would be amazing. It's fascinating. Yeah, it, it is. It's very fascinating. And these are these also show the variety of the crazy sort of psychotic nature of humans. Like the, yeah. all of these have very different motivations. All of these have very different potential men- mental illnesses that yep. either weren't diagnosed or can't be because it's been too much time. Yep. And, and also investigators 
even today, investigators, I think, get influenced by, you know, politics and bureaucracy. And we got to make sure the whole city's calm and they don't think someone's going to kill them. So they make right. decisions that aren't always in the best interest of actually solving the case. That's the case. And I do think back then, I think we're harsher on investigators looking back into the past yeah, because they really didn't know what they were doing back then. Like you really did have to catch somebody red handed back in those days. Yeah, they didn't have um, tools. No, no. But it is it, it still is disappointing that some of these investigators weren't either more open minded or more aware of it, just taking better care of crime scenes and stuff like they, Absolutely. you know, they, they weren't great at that. So anyway, Absolutely. I'm rambling on about the stuff, but <laughs> I think it's fascinating, though, and comparing the way you did it with comparing the solved cases versus the unsolved cases. I mean, even the solved cases, they just took people's word and they're like, oh, yeah, you did that a couple hours ago. The dead people. Great. We're going to hang you now. Yeah. Yeah. The end. Close the book. That's it. The end, well, yeah. that's, that would never happen today. <laughs> no, and, and nor should it. As much as I, I do think the Kellys all probably should have been, you know, sentenced and everything else terrible For should sure. have happened to them. It's like, yeah, mob mob justice is not a good thing. Uh, in not, fact, plus study them, find out why they did it. Yeah, know? I know why they did it. Let's make sure no one else in heading west stops by some <laughs> cabin where they can get murdered so totally. easily because there's literally no law out there whatsoever. None. But like, find out what's going on. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting. The the Bender episode. Um, yeah, everybody listening, please, if you want to hear that, it'll either be next week when you're hearing this episode or two weeks from now, because it's the holidays and I've been sick and my whole family has been sick. So I'm just moving slow. Uh, so subscribe to make sure you get caught up on that. But the Bender one, I'm doing a, a massive deep dive on. I can't wait. For and that. That's gonna be it's, awesome. it's fascinating. And one of my favorite little tales I came across is, and it relates to this with why I'm bringing it up now, but when the Benders, they, they escaped and people are investigating the crime scene, in their cabin, there was a neighbor that was kind of friends with the Benders, kind of, I should say even friendly, like not even like a good friend, but he was also German and the Benders were German. So they hung him because he's German and knew them and oh. was like friendly with them. So they're like blaming him for all the murders and oh. they didn't kill him. Luckily he did not die, but it's just like that mob justice kind of stuff. It's like, you can go down some bad bad that's places insane. when that happens it's like that's it is an innocent man that you're just hanging because you're mad and he's also german so wow yeah it is there's some terrible stuff that can happen uh oh humans aren't we great oh, humans. <laughs> wacky 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 humans i will say that also one of the reasons that i like to read about this stuff and study this stuff is it really makes me feel good about my own life <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> when i feel Absolutely. like i'm messed up i'm like oh no yeah. i'm i'm good <laughs> yeah i'm fine i'm so much better than some other people yeah yeah it's really sad well thank you for coming on this journey with me into thank you for crazy, having me. crazy serial killers. Yeah, and I'll I'll keep you informed because you should come back for some other ones that I'm trying to like piece things together with like I invite people on when I think they'll like something I or like have this. insight into a topic. So I'll have to get you back for some some future because I'm, I'm this going was into a great choice. Oh, thank you. Uh, but I am going into I did like scary things over Halloween yeah. and uh, just because of the nature of where my brain is at right now which is not a dark place. I just went into research on the Benders. So now I'm just thinking of serial killers, but nice. it's like, I feel like the next six or seven episodes are all going to be serial killers. So there's so many to go through. I there's, mean, and there's so many different unending. avenues that you can go, yeah. right? You, yeah. Like you did, you can do the solved, the unsolved. You can do, what's the guy, uh, the Iceman, the Chris, mm -hmm. Krasinski, yeah. that guy. Yeah. yeah. He is mind blowing to me. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's me too. so yeah. many. 
Yeah. And even I want to do some, um, because similar to like the 1800s, the 19th century murders today, part of that is you, you every now and then you come across when there's a modern day serial killer that gets yeah. caught, there's going to be some article or blog or comment from somebody being like, this didn't happen in the old days. Like this is, you know, it, they blame it on everything from not enough Jesus in your life to too much Jesus to like to video um, games, video <laughs> games. They blame all this stuff. And it's like, no, serial killers have always been around. Human always. nature has not changed. And there are mm. terrible people from the past and there are terrible people today. We shouldn't just flag it with that. We need to no. study these people so we can understand this. And that is the best thing we can do. And and that is yeah. one of the reasons why I've like looking at 19th century century killers is like people think Jack the Ripper kind of started yeah. the whole thing. It's like, no, 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 he did it. They've always been around. So I want to do some episodes about um, serial killers in, in sort of far off countries, either in like Asia or that. Russia, like, like get out of the Western civilization world and do some, cause they're there too. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. an interesting thing that you could study at some point, the evolution of how people were able to get away with things in the early days. Oh, to yeah. Like the seventies yeah. was ripe with yeah. serial killing. Right. <laughs> and how that's changed into now, how it's like yeah. more difficult because of being on the grid and yeah. you know, there's cameras everywhere you look and just yeah. science and technology has changed so much. Just the evolution yeah. of, of how people can get away with yeah. these horrible it, things. It's so interesting. And on uh, autobiography, my TV show, we did an episode about the Manson murders because they had a bunch Ooh. of, a bunch of cars. It was all the cars yeah. with, with the Mansons. And uh, again, I'm going on a tangent here, but one of the things, because I've always been fascinated with serial killers, but I went and filmed and walking around like their ranch and like where <gasps> they lived. And you all went that to Spawn Ranch? Went to Spawn Ranch, yeah. <sighs> went all around it, filmed all around it. I even like went into the rock. There's a famous picture of the Manson family like under yep. this rock. I'm like, I have pictures and video of me under the rock. And I got to say, as I, I'm one of those people of like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I like dark stuff. I'm going to have so much yeah. fun. Being there was unbelievably like depressing like i oh. did like i definitely kind of want to do more of that there's there's yeah. an interesting part of me that's like oh this is fascinating but like yeah it, being there was not as quote-unquote fun as i thought because i'm well like, i think oh, that's the empathetic mm. part of like yeah not fangirling yeah. out in front of jeffrey yeah. Dahmer's house and, <laughs> right, you know what exactly. i mean like you have there's, to honor the yeah. the fucked upness that actually yeah. came from that place absolutely yeah crazy mm, anyway yeah, so you gotta come. You gotta come back on. That's the way I'm gonna. Leave I it will today. ask I me anytime. Out. I'll even do homework beforehand if you need me Ooh, to. Oh yeah, blast, yeah, Michael. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, of I think course. I'm gonna go Thank like you. doom scroll some puppies and kitties or something. To, yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. No, that was fascinating, and I did. I took notes, and um, nice. I'm gonna be looking into some of these a little bit more too. So thank you so much. Thank you, Bridget. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. And that'll do it for today's show. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. This is the week of Thanksgiving. I hope everybody is enjoying the holiday. And I am very thankful for all of you, our listeners. This is still a brand new show and something that just started from from the pure joy and fun of wanting to share these kind of stories. And I am uh, I am just so thankful and grateful for the feedback and the attention that I'm already getting. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. I can confirm since I hung up with Bridget that our next episode is going to be two weeks from today. It will be a deep dive on the bloody benders, the bloody, bloody benders, uh, which I'm very excited about. 
So to stay up to date, to make sure you don't miss that episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, review, or follow us on Instagram at A Study of Strange. And as usual, if you have comments, ideas, things you want to share with me, reach out, astudyofstrange at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, and also, I've mentioned in the last few episodes, I am compiling personal stories, personal personal accounts from people that have witnessed or seen an unidentified flying object for a future episode. So please reach out to me, send me an email, studyofstrange at gmail.com. I would love to hear about it. Uh, we'll leave it for that tonight. Make sure to check out our show notes, our website, studyofstrange.com, Patreon. There's going to be some new content at the beginning of December on there. And happy Thanksgiving, and thank you, and good night. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a second to let you know about Audible. This is an advertisement, I may make a tiny commission, but I'm only going to promote things I use and I love, and Audible fits that requirement. I use it literally every day. Audible is an audiobook and podcast service that lets you enjoy all of your listening entertainment in one place. Audible membership gives all members a chance to discover new shows, new favorites, new formats, like Words Plus, an exclusive music series right now. I primarily use Audible to listen to podcasts, but I do fit in an occasional audiobook, which helps me fit in research for this show into my busy day. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. 30 days free! Get access to the growing selection of originals, podcasts, everything. All you have to do is visit audibletrial.com slash strange. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash strange. Or see our show notes for a link. Thank you.